You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to take you around the league with Russell Baxter of NFLSpinZone.com and check in with Jeremy Fowler, who covers the Steelers for ESPN. And Brian, will kick off the podcast today with Charles Davis from NFL Network. Charles, we were kicking around the possibility of Saquon Barkley going to Cleveland with the number one overall pick, as you know. Running back hasn't gone in that esteemed position since Kajana Carter, coincidentally, coming out of Penn State in 1995, went to Cincinnati. Do you think Barkley is the most talented player in this draft? I do. Hello, guys. Hope you're doing well. I think he is the most talented player in the draft, and it's going to test all the tenets of don't take a running back so high. But in recent years, and I kind of go back to Todd Gurley, I think, you know, starting to take running backs in the top 10 has become okay again. For the longest time, we weren't touching them at all, as you guys well know. But start with Gurley, and that led us to last year with Fournette at four and Christian McCaffrey at eight. Ezekiel Elliott going at four his year with Dallas and transforming the Cowboys. So if you get the right guy and the guy you believe in, I think people feel like it's okay to go back in the water and take a running back that early. I think he is the best player in the draft, but I don't believe he'll go number one to Cleveland because I think they'll take a quarterback first. And I was getting ready to ask that question because we know for sure uh, that they need a quarterback, but we know having a running back can really be nice. Can they sacrifice that, that number one spot to grab a Saquon Barkley and at four grab a QB? Because we know at the third spot, it's the end of his coats. They won't grab a quarterback. So there's three spots where quarterbacks can go one potentially or four and two and still be able to grab the quarterback as well as the running back that they want to have. They, they, that would work out great for them, Cordell because it actually fits in a lot of ways if they had guarantees that there would be no deals at two or even a deal at three. And that's where things get a little bit muddy because I believe Dave Gettleman, the GM of, of the Giants, when he says he's open for business, mm-hmm. that you want, you want to come get this, come get it, and I'll drop down and get a few more players because you know the Giants need them. The Colts at three, you know, with their general manager and, as you mentioned a little while ago, it looks like Andrew Luck's going to be back. That doesn't cure everything. But you know the Colts need a lot of players as well. So do you just take sit there and take Bradley Chubb at three, the defensive end that we would expect them to take? Or do you move down and maybe get a couple other ball players in a pretty pretty decent draft? So that's going to be where it gets a little bit muddy, and free agency is going to tell us a few more things before draft day gets here. Where does Kirk Cousins land? Is A.J. McCarron part of this? Heck, does anyone see Case Keenum as a starter? All of those things. So we'll see where the landing points are, and that may change what the board tells us about taking quarterbacks early. But if Cleveland knew no one was touching two and three, heck, if they had two guys on the board that they really liked, you might take Barkley at one and guarantee to get yourself one of the two quarterbacks that you're crazy about because, as you pointed out, Indianapolis is not taking quarterback at three. Talking draft with our great friend Charles Davis of NFL Network and Fox Sports. Charles, what's your evaluation of Sam Darnold? How much are you concerned with the high tally of turnovers at USC? Not just interceptions, he lost a ton of fumbles. Yeah, and that was his, be, be, well, that, that's the part that 
will require some work, but I do believe it's something that can be overcome. I go back to when Marcus Mariota was, I believe, a sophomore at, at Oregon, and he had double-digit fumbles that year. Many of them in the pocket became a priority to work on it, cut that number down significantly, and his last year was the number two pick in the draft, continues to work on it. I think for Darnold, he's one of those playmaking guys that doesn't like to give up on plays and will continue to try and extend them and make a big one and often gets it done. But it's a priority. It's something they'll have to be work on. Is there concern? Of course there is. But he also is a guy that, as I said before, makes a ton of plays as well, creates as well as, you know, pretty, pretty darn well compared to the other quarterbacks in the draft. I think he's right up there with any of them. So it's one of those things of, do you, you know, the hand size comes into play. Are his hands big enough? Is it mechanics that he's working with? And what is your, you know, sense of the team that you have with the quarterback coaches and everyone else, the kind of coaching he'll get, and will he take the coaching? I think you'll probably check most of the boxes affirmatively with him. Looking at Lamar Jackson and how he actually approached this combine, there was a drizzle of conversation about the receiving position, but I think he pretty much shut that down. And matter of fact, he didn't even run the 40. He just allowed everything to be just about being a quarterback. Give me your take on his approach and was that the smart thing to do? I thought it was in so many ways, and I thought him not running the 40, him not vertical jumping, him not broad jumping, right? Cordell, he didn't do any of these so-called athletic things, right? right? He played quarterback, and that's what he was saying. It was a silent message to the league. I hear what you guys are saying. I'm a quarterback. That's what this day is going to be about. Now, he's going to have his pro day, and I will bet that he will do everything at his pro day because that's the capper to everything, okay? And, but here's the difference. Combine, every eye out there is on the combine. Pro day, there'll be cameras there, but it doesn't carry the same news cycle. So he's made his message known to everyone he's a quarterback. Now what he's going to do is add in the rest of it, and now you see everything that goes with him being a quarterback. If anyone can speak authoritatively to Lamar Jackson, it's you because of the skill set, the athleticism, the mental capacity to play the position, you know, all those things that went with it, you had to adjust to some of that in the NFL when they were using you became Slash. Lamar Jackson is telling them right out of the gate, you're not going to Eldridge Dickey me. And for those who don't know the name Eldridge Dickey, Google it. You'll find him in the late 60s, quarterback out of Tennessee State, whose nickname was the Lord's Prayer. Should have been a quarterback from day one. The Raiders immediately switched him to receiver. He didn't have the pro career he should have had and really died with a broken heart. This is Lamar Jackson's opportunity to be a quarterback, and he wasn't going to mess up any part of that. And he's telling the league, I believe in myself, and if you're smart, you'll believe in me too. And whoever drafts him, Cordell, mm-hmm. has to have a smart, savvy offensive staff because you're going to meet him halfway with the stuff he did in college and introduce a lot of the pro stuff to him. But you're crazy if you don't take advantage of his gifts and a head coach has got to buy in. An organization's got to buy in, and more and more NFL teams are buying in now as opposed to years before when they said, we're not doing that stuff. you got to do it the NFL way, kid, and that's the way it is. I don't think we have as many of those people still left in the league running these teams. Mm-hmm. Charles, because you're calling the shots at NFL Network, you can't say it, but we know it's true. Cordell wants to do more TV. Why is Cordell not appearing on NFL Network talking about Lamar Jackson? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. He would be the absolute perfect person to speak to this for so many different reasons. The main reason being 
This is a guy that had that athleticism that people wanted to use at other positions to get him on the field. He did some of that with Pittsburgh. Later was a Pro Bowl quarterback and led his team to big-time, big-time wins and produced at a very, very high level. Why not have someone like Cordell Stewart, who's sitting right here talking to us, talking about this, talking about the trials and tribulations you go through, how you have to present yourself so that everybody understands that you are a quarterback first. And, yeah, I'm going to help my team here, but don't forget what I'm really about and then being able to go out and prove it as well. I think that is a, an absolute perfect parallel. And I sure wish my, my, my people that I know at NFL Network would grasp onto that and start talking to you about it. I wish they would, too, because i got to be honest with you. You know, there's a lot of stories about the, the approach I took because the, the approach I took, Charles, was in, in Brian – it was one that derived around injuries on our team. So I don't know if you remember, Charles, he went back to Charles, actually, a Rod Woodson hurting his yep. knee against Barry Sanders trying to tackle him on our Three River Turf in that stadium. Okay. And, you know, you, know Barry, turf. you remember that stuff, right? So we remember Barry Sanders was like the Nintendo of, of, of players because he could stop yeah. on a dime and go a totally different direction. Blew his knee out, lost him all the way till the Super Bowl. We had Neil O'Donnell who hurt his pinky finger. Mike Tomczak had to go in. Receivers started falling out the sky. Charles Johnson. Then all of a sudden it got to the point where I was like, hey, coach, you know, I would love to help out if you need me to. It wasn't anything that came to me from them. It was me going to them and asking them, if you need my services to help, I would. And my first place from the line of scrimmage was a five-wide receiver set, and Neil O'Donnell was the receiver next to Yancey Deep and to my left. And it was a time in which the mobile quarterback didn't have a spy. So if you had to cover two defense, you had those linebackers along with the dime or whatever or the nickel, he would be covering the slot receiver to the right, the middle linebacker would cover the back, and the guy on the outside of him would cover the other slot receiver. The middle of the field was wide open on 30 and 15. What do I do? Quarterback draw up the middle, 18-yard gain, touchdown. Next game, the next week, and gets the Cleveland Browns throw a touchdown to Ernie Mills. But my first two plays from the line of scrimmage was playing a quarterback position. And then, of course, Chan Gailey being creative, Coach Cowher being open-minded, and Ronnie Hart allowing it to happen. We just started having fun with it. So it truly happened organically. So now this narrative around a Lamar Jackson that he should, because of his talents, play another position, they're trying to connect it to my story, but it, it's not the same scenario. It's just one where it happened organically. People love it. I appreciate it. But the kid is a quarterback, uses talent as such, and I think someone can be lucky if they can get him and teach him the game like they would do a Sam Darnold, like they would do a Josh Allen and a Josh Rosen, and, and also the diminutive Baker Mayfield. I would agree with you totally on so many different things. What was your height and weight when you were playing as a rookie at Pittsburgh, Cordell? They had me at six one and three quarters. Weight? I was at two... I was 217, to be exact. Okay, so we're talking now. I didn't see the final deal on um, Lamar. 6'3", 210 is kind of where everyone puts it, but he looks like he weighs about 190. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean, yep. he's got that build that looks like he's a lot thinner, so people are concerned about different things. But if you look in his college career, he's been extremely durable. And the things that he's done, especially considering how many times he's had to carry the football and called runs, not just broken plays. So it's going to be interesting to me, as I've said before, will the people who draft him, and if they don't, they're idiots because they got to know what they're dealing with here, will they have a plan for him? And go back to Dak Prescott, his rookie who took over Tony Romo. They did a lot of stuff he did in college, 
early. Get him used to it. Get him introduced. Get him comfortable. Kept introducing other things to him. He's had a marvelous two years in the league. I think that we saw where Andy Reid figured out what to do with Alex Smith as time went on. Went back to a lot of University of Utah stuff. The Eagles with Carson Wentz. It wasn't just the RPOs with Nick Foles. They were on that stuff with Carson Wentz as well as some of his North Dakota State playbook. I asked him point blank. I said, I saw you just do a play last week. That looked like what I saw on film you come out of college. And he verified that's actually a North Dakota State play that we ran and we put it in and so on. So that's what I'm talking about with the NFL nowadays. The old Cordell can tell us better than anyone. There used to be a lot of that Joe College stuff. I don't, we don't use Joe College things. Mm-hmm. His dealers were a little bit of an anomaly in being able to have fun and do things. But I bet, he talk, I bet you you talk to people around the league and they were like, no way we'd do that here. I mean, that's just kind of how that all went down. When you came in, you do it the NFL way or you don't play. you got to learn how to do it our way. And we don't do that college stuff. That college, ah. Well, this is the first time in in my lifetime following NFL football that the college game is actually pushing things up to the NFL and it's being embraced on the offensive side of the ball. Charles, you're the best. Thanks for coming on the show again. I look forward to Cordell being featured on NFL Network soon. Hey, I look forward to it as well. Cordell, get that agent to work. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. TuneIn has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip hop beats. Sit down. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's take you across the league with Russell Baxter of NFLSpinZone.com. So yesterday, Michael Bennett, Russ, we saw the trade from Seattle to Philadelphia can't be made official until we get to the start of the new league year. Richard Sherman, according to reports, will be moving on as well. Beyond the football motivation, do you think these moves are driven by this team trying to change the culture of the organization? There's been so much talk about a divided locker room and a rift between the offense and the defense. I think there's a degree of that, Brian. I don't think there's any question about it. And also, this is a team... Um, went to back-to-back Super Bowls. We all know what happened in uh, Super Bowl 49. Um, but m- more importantly, the last two years, this club has gotten away from what made them a championship club. A very determined ground attack, a solid defense. Now, some of those defensive problems have been brought about by the fact that Earl Thomas missed the stretch run in 2016. We just saw Cam Chancellor and Richard Sher- Sherman hurt late this past year. But that ability to control the tempo of the game with Marshawn Lynch, um, that, it, it's disappeared. Obviously, Lynch um, didn't play in 2016. He retired. 2017, he came back with the Raiders. But more importantly, the offensive line has kind of come apart. Um, they spent a lot of money on their defense. They didn't do a lot to secure their offensive line, which you go back a couple of years ago, you know, James Carpenter, Russell Okun, uh, Max Unger, all those guys either retired or, or moved on elsewhere or, or so on and so on. So um, 
you win football games in the trenches. We just saw that with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, solid in the offensive and defensive lines. And I think the offensive line issue caught up with them, and then you throw in the other stuff and the personalities and so on. Um, and this is a team that missed the playoffs for the first time in 2007 this past year. Russell, when you, with all that said, when you look within this division out in the NFC West, how now the the, the, the powers that be has changed? I mean, you have the L.A. Rams that, that we saw play really good, and you saw this 49ers team grab Jimmy Garoppolo, and all of a sudden you end up seeing him change things around to where it got him a $137.5 million deal. So give me your take on that division as we move forward, knowing that the changes on defense with the Legion of Boom is about done. Uh, well, how funny is it? And you know what? It, it, it epitomizes what the league is, and especially what the NFC Cordell has been these last couple of years. Think about this. The San Francisco 49ers are the only team in the NFC West this past year to have a losing record. Okay. Um, the Rams were obviously 11 and five, nine and seven, Seattle, eight and eight, Arizona. They were six and 10. And yet the 49ers own the longest current winning streak in the league, five straight games after that one and 10 start. So you talk about, you look at the, uh, what the other teams in the division are doing right now too. Okay. Um, Seattle obviously looks like they're cleaning house a little, um, but, and besides the players, New offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new offensive line coach. There's a lot changing in Seattle. The Arizona Cardinals at the moment don't have a quarterback. Carson Palmer retired. Blaine Gabbard, Drew Stanton uh, about to hit free agency next week. And the Rams, well, whatever happened to go west? Well, everybody else is leaving. I mean, they they traded um, Robert Quinn to the Dolphins. They just traded three to the New York Giants. They're making changes as well. So it's funny, topsy-turvy, and, and talk about a little symmetry here. In 2016, the only team in the NFC East with a losing record was the Philadelphia Eagles, and they parlayed that into a win in Super Bowl 52. If you're looking for Horace Greeley references and outstanding NFL analysis, one man delivers Russell Baxter, <laughs> NFLSpinZone.com. Russ, it feels like just a matter of time before Richard Sherman will be on the move. We know he's an expensive player. That's part of the motivation. But from a football standpoint, where do you think he is at this stage of his career? Have you seen slippage in his game? That's part of the narrative. No, I haven't seen slippage in his game. And, um, you know, you go back to 2016 and not having Earl Thomas there, I mean, obviously that's a little bit of a detriment and so on. But I don't think you've really seen him fall apart. Now he's going to be recovering from an Achilles injury. So it's going to be interesting to see what he's like early in the season and so on. But, you know, based on sheer will, you know, he's going to make somebody pretty happy. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see who goes after him. Does he reunite with Dan Quinn, possibly in Atlanta? I mean, I, you know, I, all right, should I make the Sherman in Atlanta joke? <laughs> should I do that? Should I just do it? He's going to okay. march all the way to the sea, Russ, but you're on a roll. Continue. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, listen, he's going to be – a very popular commodity. I don't know what money, how that plays out and so on. You know, Richard Sherman's a, a, a terrific story. He was not you know, a fifth-round draft choice. Um, he had an outstanding career, obviously very vocal and so on, but it obviously also brings a lot of intensity uh, to any defense. I mean, he's a game-changer as far as I'm concerned. So uh, is he what he was a couple of years ago? None of us are. So, But team him with the right people and, and let him be the – 
leader of a defense, and, you know, somebody's going to be very happy. I, could the San Francisco 49ers actually try to steal him? That would be interesting. And, and speaking of the 49ers, uh, a team that, you know, grabbed a quarterback like a Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo, and, and they thought the world of him. Uh, let's talk about Kirk Cousins when it comes down to what the National Football League may think of him. Minnesota Vikings, we hear allegedly there's rumors that there was a three-year deal that could be guaranteed money of 91 million bucks. Give me your take on what do you think about Kirk Cousins and maybe this extremely lucrative deal that he may get that may be guaranteed money all the way through. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because a lot obviously was made a couple of weeks ago and Jimmy Garoppolo signed that deal to make him the quote-unquote highest player in NFL history. Uh, I think that's going to last about a week when Kirk Cousins becomes the quote-unquote highest played player in NFL history, and maybe that lasts a couple more weeks when Aaron Rodgers gets you know, what's rumored to be a new deal, and he becomes the quote-unquote highest played player in NFL history. It's not something to last very long and so on, but listen, Kirk Cousins, 4,000 yards passing, um, even more so the completion percentage the last three years with the Washington Redskins. He stayed on the field for the last three years. Um, you know, since he was given the reins of the team. I'm not going to blame Kirk Cousins for the, for the Redskins' shoddy defense, which has been an issue for, for a number of years. But, I mean, be it Minnesota, could Arizona still be in the mix? There's talk about the Jets and so on. Arizona, it's funny, Cordell, Arizona and Minnesota are kind of in the same boat. Neither one of them has a quarterback under contract for 2018. Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, um, Sam Bradford. All potential UFAs. We already talked about what's going on with the Cardinals as well. I get the feeling it's going to come down to those. I think Denver obviously is in the mix as well. But um, Kirk Cousins has had this this last two-year run, which I'll never understand why the Washington Redskins didn't get a long-term deal with them and spent all that money. I mean, you know this as well as I do. They changed the rules of the franchise tag a couple of years ago. You remember about a decade or so ago, two guys were in the Hall of Fame, Orlando Pace and Walter Jones, got franchised every year, and they played under the franchise tag for numerous years in a row. And the NFL said, we're changing this rule. Now you can get penalized if you franchise a guy two years in a row. Well, I mean, I know the Rams did with Tremaine Johnson. I know the Steelers have now done it with Le'Veon Bell. But ideally, you're really not supposed to do it with a quarterback, and yet somehow the Redskins managed to do that. Russ, last one for me. You talked about the muddled quarterback situation in Minnesota. Sam Bradford, I think, will be moving on unless he wants to take backup mm-hmm. money to play for the Vikings. What do you think the market looks like for him? You know the biggest issue. He's seemingly always injured, but when healthy, he put up a dazzling completion percentage during his run in Minnesota. Yeah, and but there's, there's the rub, Brian. It's the win. And, you know, last year, I started out the season, riddled the Saints on a Monday night. Um, you know, got bad, but banged up, did not play week two, tried to come back a couple of times. Eventually they just went with Case Keenum, you know, and, and not a young guy anymore. Remember, he was the first overall pick in 2010, you know, so now he, theoretically he would be entering his ninth NFL season. Of course, there was one season where he didn't play at all. I mean, I think, I think it's going to be a, a rough market. I mean, for, for me, I don't know where he's going to be a starter. I know some teams are interested in Teddy Bridgewater as a starter. Obviously, Case Keenum, I think, will get that look-see, look-see as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Vikings lose out on Kirk Cousins, for lack of a better word. 
that Teddy Bridgewater becomes the guy there. Remember, he was there when Zimmer was there uh, the first couple of years. Now, I'll also throw something out that I wrote this morning. Let's not forget that Teddy Bridgewater has basically played no football for two years. Um, it would be nice to see him back on the field and a little sustained. So I'll just throw this out here. Norv Turner is now the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, and the Panthers might be looking for a backup quarterback. Could could Teddy Bridgewater wind up in Carolina kind of helping out Cam Newton? Although it's funny, Cam Newton might be helping out Teddy Bridgewater. Cam Newton's been in the league longer. But it might be a chance for, for Teddy Bridgewater to get a little more football under his feet. Things that make you go, hmm. Russ, as always a pleasure. I love the Horace Greeley reference. So I was trying to come up with the Mount Rushmore of Horace's. I got Horace Mann, of course, Horace Grant, Greeley. I need one more. Can you help me? Oh, boy. This is probably like a Horace Bull question. Um, <laughs> Horace. I, 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 how about a Horace line? Okay, a horse is a horse, of course, of course. Thank you, Russ. We'll chat with you down the road on the NFL on TuneIn. You got it, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The boys of summer are back. And a fly ball well hit. Back to the wall. He leaps. Can't get it. It's a home run. MLB spring training is here, and you can catch every game from Florida and Arizona live with your subscription to TuneIn Premium. Rivalry games, split squad games, TuneIn has it all. When the pitch count begins for real, catch every game of the 2018 MLB season from opening day to the MLB World Series live on TuneIn. It's gone. It's a home run. Major League Baseball is on TuneIn Premium. Listen all season long. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Jeremy Fowler, who covers the Steelers for ESPN. Jeremy, we know you're busy, so we appreciate you taking the time. And we got to start with Le'Veon Bell, as you know, for the first time in recent memory last season. He didn't deal with a suspension or a major injury. So why do you think the Steelers are reluctant to give him the multi-year deal he wants? Well, because the multi-year deal he wants is upward of $14.5 million per year uh, over five or six years. I mean, that's a franchise tag member, so that's his new negotiating point because he's been tagged to that clip. And so... Um, he is a man of conviction. He, he's not really going to take a, a low number right now unless he surprises some people. And so the Steelers have been close, but I just don't know. They might have a tipping point here. I just don't know if they want to go up to $15 million to get this done. Yeah, I mean, the Steelers have been known to, when it comes down to quarterbacks, quarterbacks, when running backs turning 30 years of age, they have a tendency to shy away from them. Do you think this is the reason why they're being reluctant about doing a long-term deal with Le'Veon Bill because he's now 26 years old, and how many years with this long-term deal they're probably thinking they could get out of him? Well, certainly the, the wear and tear of the running back and age is a consideration here. So um, and, you know, the Steelers typically and in recent years are the guys they've signed. They, they hope that those players uh, fulfill their contracts and play well in the fourth and fifth year, but they don't really guarantee a lot of money up front as a result. And so as a player, you have to weigh what's worth it. And, and for, for Le'Veon, if he, he says if he's not going to get the guarantees uh, in the second and the third year, then he's going to need a lot of upfront money and a big, a big deal overall on a per year average. And so that's sort of the rub. It, it's the running back market right now because of, of back struggling and, and having such a short shelf life, maybe not being as prolific as they were. 
you know, the, the money is more like eight to nine million a year for, for top backs. And so Le'Veon is a receiver too, and, and he, you know, he, he feels his overall package is much more than that. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Steelers stay true to the running back market versus trying to please one of their top players. Chatting with Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Jeremy, I'm not a capologist, and we're not looking for the actual particulars financially, but in general terms, how much cap flexibility are the Steelers losing using the tag on Le'Veon Bell for the second straight year? Well, tagging Bell at $14.5 million put them about $8.7 million over, but they just restructured Antonio Brown's deal. Uh, they basically, it's basically just maneuvering money around. You know, they take his salary and his roster bonus, and they just make it a signing bonus and prorate it, which brings them to about $1 million in cap space. So they're still pretty tight against the cap. Um, if they wanted to go do anything in free agency, they would have trouble doing that right now. But they have really um, – they can create 20 to $30 million in cap space fairly easily right now if they want to. I mean, they can restructure a few more contracts. They can cut a few players, especially in the secondary. Uh, they have some easy cap money there available. And they just got to kind of, I think they're just trying to weigh their options. They're almost waiting until closer to next week to, to figure out who becomes available, uh, either either cut by another team, you know, attractive player like Arizona's Tyron Matthew comes to mind. That's yeah, a safety maybe that if he becomes available, they can make a move on if, if he's affordable enough. And that would determine who they cut. You mentioned restructuring of contracts there in Pittsburgh. Uh, there was some conversation at the end of the season where Ben Roethlisberger asked, could he ask and make a statement that he want to stay a little bit longer, maybe two to three more years. Yeah. Do you think this is the reason why they probably put the franchise tag on Le'Veon Bell? It's possible because it gives them the option to just play one year, uh, you know, and then they can walk away if they need to, and then he'd be 27, and he could test the market at that point. He wouldn't get as much as he would have this last year because of the wear and tear, but he could still get a nice deal somewhere. Um, and then he would have made out pretty well because he would have got $27 million on two years on the franchise tag and moved on. It would have been an interesting case study for both parties. But uh, Big Ben, you know, he's at about $20 million a year on his current deal as two years left. If he wants to play three more years, they might just re-up him. If not right now, then I think they would entertain that either in the summer or after this season, definitely they would want to get something done with him. And, and really with the quarterback market going the way it is, as high as it is right now, um, it would probably be prudent of them to do something sooner than later. Talking Steelers with Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Jeremy, what's the state of this defense based on what we saw Jacksonville do on the road in Pittsburgh for the second time in one year in that playoff loss? Well, there are some questions. And this is, it's, it was a weird year for them because they were a top-five defense for most of the year but then just too many big plays in the secondary in the back end. And then Ryan Shazier's absence really hurt them where they were giving up 150 rushing yards pretty much every other game late in the year. And so um, it's just not a recipe to win, especially for the way that defense is built. So they need to get some help at inside linebacker opposite Vince Williams. Um, you know, a couple of players in free agency they can look at that should be affordable, some every down thumper types. And then safety was a problem. You know, they just, in between Mike Mitchell, he was dealing with some injuries, but he just didn't make enough splash plays. Sean Davis, second-year guy, you know, really kind of came back down to earth after a good rookie year. Cornerback Artie Burns, same thing, good, you know, pretty good rookie year, not as good as last year. Those guys can still be good players to the Steelers, but they just, you know, they, they didn't get the development they needed on the back end. Uh, luckily for them, Joe Hayden was really good, and he'll be back this year.
Give me a conversation about uh, Martavis Bryant. I mean, from one one second he wants to leave, next minute he says he's going to stay. All of a sudden you hear something about the trade block, and then all of a sudden the GM uh, mentions that he's not going to be on the trade block. What's really going on with Martavis Bryant with the Pittsburgh Steelers? <laughs> well, you know, to take GM Kevin Colbert's words at face value, it, it, he made it pretty clear that he's not going to trade Martavis, and he shut that door. But, to, you know, to me, his comments also say, the offers aren't good enough. We want a big offer. And I, that's kind of what I was hearing at the combine. They're going to want, uh, you know, if they're even going to entertain it because of Martavis' talent, they're going to want a better player, or excuse me, a, a, a bigger draft pick, maybe even a second-round pick, which they probably won't get based on his history and him going to free agency next year. And the Steelers know they can get a, a, compens- a compensatory pick for him if they just let him walk next year. Or they can transition tag, and they can do a lot of different things. Where it's just you know, it makes sense for them to, to keep him unless they get a really good pick. But keep in mind that the wide receiver draft class is not very good this year. Free agency draft class, you know, you've got a few guys like Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins, but it's sort of hit or miss. Everybody has at least one question mark. Teams might say, why don't we go after a guy like Bryant right now and sweeten the offer to Pittsburgh, and that could make it interesting. Jeremy, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.